Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so excited you're here. You are listening to episode number two. In today's episode, I'm talking with another dear friend and visionary leader, Kemi Ilisanmi. She's the executive director at the Laundromat Project here in Brooklyn. This conversation is taken from my video series, The Next Normal, which explores issues of strategy, sustainable leadership, and racial equity in the nonprofit sector in the world that will follow COVID. I loved this conversation with Kemi, not just because I really love talking to Kemi, but her vision for this next normal that we were talking about is really beautiful. She talks about centering hope in the face of very real fears and about the hope that we'll all be brave enough to have the sometimes scary conversations about equity and race that ultimately give way to our ability to move forward in unison. And she talks about her personal hope that nonprofits will continue to get better at working together in the spirit of cooperation and problem solving. So let's take a listen. Hi, Kemi. How are you? I'm good, Brooke. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be having this conversation with you for multiple reasons, primary among which is how much I just love talking to you. <laughs> so this is going to be a ditto, ditto. So happy to be here. Yes. So I mentioned before we were on camera that I've been having this conversation with a number of people for the last few months about the next normal. When the pandemic first hit, and we started hearing about the new normal that was going mm-hmm. to emerge, it struck me that actually there are going to be and have been in our lifetimes, we've seen lots of new normals. And so it's really the next normal that we are shaping right now and creating. So this conversation series is about the perspectives of people like you who are doing the work, who are leading teams, who are thought leaders in our sector um, and in our country around what this next normal should look like. So I'd love to kick off with that question, sort of a big one. When I say the next normal for your nonprofit, for our sector and for our society, what comes to mind for you? What's the vision and the ideal that you have in mind for this next normal? That is such a huge question and invitation. I have to remind myself that Toni Morrison said, if we can't imagine it, we can't have it. And trying to push myself and others around me to think about what does that need to look like if we think about next fall, butting that up against some pretty real fears as well because of the moment we are living in and living through. I hope that a year from now, nonprofits, to imagine ourselves to be grounded in mission and purpose. We are not for-profit institutions. We're organizations that care about a bigger sense of purpose in the world. And I think so much about how to center people in that purpose. A mission cannot happen without people. And those are our staff and our board and the communities that we serve, the individuals that we are in contact with and moving with. So I'm hoping that part of what will be in the next normal are conversations that used to be scary, don't feel as scary. 
talking about issues of race and equity and pushing ourselves to think collectively about what that looks like for us, how that shows up in the way we treat our people becomes just part of the process and not a fight uphill or a fight that never even happens in some cases, right? It just, we kind of just assume we can't have better. So that's something I think about. I really hope the next normal is much more of a collective ecosystem space. So how do we move in unison or how do nonprofits connect to one another with a cooperative spirit and a spirit of problem solving together? This moment has really shown that we will not make it alone as individuals or as entities. So the Laundromat Project has been part of collective fundraising efforts. We've had other people raise money for us, which has been amazing. But we've also just been in conversation with other of our peer organizations, art and community-based art organizations around New York City, around the country, asking with less eloquence, what's the next normal or what's the normal happening right now and how do we deal with it? How do we go through it? How do we spaces for joy and proactivity because it's felt like a time of such reaction the last six months in different waves. So we had the COVID wave and then we had the Black Lives Matter uprisings. And and so all of that has in some ways put us in a stance of reacting to a moment and it's how do we move with more intention of our own purpose. So I hope that we'll be more grounded in what that feels like and looks like and that we'd have built different kinds of networks and conversations during this time that might never have happened. One of the beautiful things that has emerged from this moment, if one can talk about beauty in this moment, we have to, is the collapsing of space and time. So I have been on panels with people from Uganda and Athens, Greece, and different parts of the United States that we'd have had to spend so much money to be together in the same space in the past. So it just probably wouldn't have happened. But instead, I now feel like as soon as somebody lets us on a plane, maybe I can go to Kampala. I have an amazing arts organization I can go and visit and a black woman leader of that organization and artists to meet. And that's just like, I feel like the world has opened up in a different kind of way. And I hope we hold on to that. What's really interesting, I mean, there's so many interesting things that I will keep circling back to this sort of balance of imagination and fear. And I'm going to ask you to share how you as a leader have navigated that. But just, I want to keep going down this path of the collapsing of time and space, which is just a really beautiful way of talking about sort of the converse of how we often talk about the impact of COVID, right? The isolation and the separation, but there are also these amazing opportunities to be in community with Mm -hmm. and hopefully authentic community with people we could never have been in community with before, which is also allowed. And you talked about the sort of coming together, collective action, collective support of one another. Those seem related to me. The collapsing of time and space, making it more possible for you to do some of the collective fundraising, the partnerships with other organizations. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, as you've been sort of swimming through all of that, you feel like those two things together, the collapsing of time and space and the collective work and the partnerships 
are moving the equity conversation in the direction that you mentioned you hope it will go? Like if you see a relationship between the world getting a little smaller in certain ways and the ability to talk to people in Uganda with shifts in how racial equity is actually being integrated into our work? So I would say this is a very hopeful answer because I think it's slow work as often the most important work is even all of the shifts that have happened seemingly at lightning speed, particularly in light of the summer uprisings were because people have laid groundwork for seven years of black lives matter and 400 years of black resistance since we arrived in this country, right? It didn't come out of nowhere that we were able to then move quickly, seemingly in some ways. So similarly, what I think this moment has offered, I would connect it to that idea of proactivity. So it's the ability to, we have been pushed and can now have conversations across, again, space and time to ask questions of what equity looks like if we make it for ourselves as Black and people of color-centered and indigenous-centered organizations, what would it look like to make our own terms? Not because all of those terms are things we can set in this moment, but again, if we cannot imagine it, then we definitely don't get to have it because we can't even define. So pushing ourselves to ask. So one of the things that I loved so much this summer was, again, being over the last six months, was the urgency that was injected into the world. So for instance, I had been thinking and fantasizing for two years about having a conversation and a convening with other Black-led, Black-centered, POC-centered arts organizations around the country. And I was like, you know, I had notes about who might sponsor us all getting together and bringing us into town and what that list might look like and all of that. And at some level just got stymied because there was so much money and organization that would be required to even pull it off. So I had a list of organizations. Some people I knew, some people I didn't. But I had a list of at least a starter list. Well, because of COVID, I actually ended up in a conversation with Amy Andrew from Mokada, which is another arts organization here in the city in Brooklyn, and focus on Black diasporic art. And then we then pulled in our friend Kenny Bailey, who runs a beautiful design center in Boston, uh, the acronym of which is DS4SI. I always forget exactly what it stands for. And, but they do amazing work and he's amazing. And we got in conversation starting May-ish. And finally, last month, actually had a conversation where we pulled together 16 organizations from Chicago and LA and Houston and Philly and all over the country. And we have others that we invited who couldn't make it, others that were asking people who else should be at the table, and we're already planning another conversation for next month. And one of the big topics was about setting our own agendas. What is it we can do now, right? So being able to have space for dreams was actually the theme for the first conversation. I love that for so many reasons. And I want to just lift up Something that I think you do remarkably well that you sort of skirted past in your telling of this story, but feels really important to me in this moment. You wrote down your vision, 
right? It's, it's going back to this idea of, of imagining what we want to have happen. It took two years and sometimes that's how the universe works, but it meant that your sort of clarity about the kind of conversation you wanted to have, who you thought should be in that conversation and why, meant that when opportunity presented, when the universe opened that door, you were ready to move into that vision. And I think just as nonprofit leaders, being in a space right now that is so reactive, I think it's really important and powerful to remember, even just taking a few minutes to jot down the vision of where you want your organization, your work, your own leadership to go, because you never know when the universe will open a door to make that happen. I just, I wanted to lift that up because I think that's really powerful. That sort of the story arc there is really powerful. You always write it down and or say it out loud. That's actually been something that I feel my life has shown me is the way to do it. So I, total side note, I have recently, it's begun to listen to (laughs) inspirational speeches by Oprah on YouTube. One of the things one does during COVID. And I never watched her show or anything, but she is deeply inspirational to me. And that is one of her themes. You write it down, you say it out loud. She's like, sometimes it has taken decades for whatever it is I was saying out loud to, you know, manifest, but that's awesome that you do that. That's really, really powerful. <laughs> and I can find that Oprah link. <laughs> I will do that. I will, I will, I'll send, uh, there's like seven of them. I will send them. <laughs> so I want to ask sort of the converse of the question that I asked around partnership and the collapsing time and space, lending itself to opportunities around equity. You also spoke about the next normal involving scary conversations or us being better at having scary conversations in the next normal. I'm wondering if you, just in your own work and having these convenings and having these conversations, have you found it easier to begin or to engage in some of the kinds of scary conversations that you think we need to have to push us to the next normal? Definitely. That helps because it's a greater there are more people to kind of check myself with and against and be in community with. Mm -hmm. So among my many collectives, because I do work, my best work in thinking and growth in community. So out of this moment, also very quickly, like by late March, this was, I had pulled together again, something I've been thinking about four months, (laughs) Um, a, a listserv and a group of people, we call ourselves the art bosses and it's here in New York City and it's about 20, 25 of us leading arts organizations, mostly smaller community based organizations, arts based organizations here in the city. And really phenomenal people that I love and some of whom I knew well and some I didn't know well, but again, being open to this is a moment we need each other. And we've had conversations about how to support our staff and how to, what are you going to say after the murder of George Floyd? Oh, you're giving your staff a day off? Okay, that's a great idea. I should think about that too. Oh, Juneteenth is coming. What are some of the things we can think about to do for that? Like, it's been a space where many of us are, those are not necessarily, well, some have been scary conversations, but just a space to think together, to be inspired by each other, to be pushed by one another. Some people's norms that they've been doing forever, other people had never considered or thought of. And it was kind of like, oh, that's an idea. So it's really been a kind of collective push forward for all of us. So I definitely feel like my staff has benefited because there's 
things I learned. I was like, you get a day off. We all get a day off. <laughs> and <laughs> we need it to yeah. reflect, relax, and all those things. So that's been helpful. And because we're purposely a group of executive directors, and you know this, this is how you and I met, was a different group of executive directors. We can make things happen in our organizations. That was a real key to me. If we go to a meeting and think, wow, I really think a day off or a stipend for utilities or some other thing sounds like a good idea. Let's make sure we have a Juneteenth program. We actually have the ability to get off that phone call and make it happen. We have a standing hour. We have a very active listserv for emails. And then every other week, we have an hour blocked off in our calendars to show up and just chat and talk about whatever, whoever can come. So all of those spaces allow us to ideate together. So right now we have a meeting this afternoon and I already know one of the topics is there's a really crucial and emotionally draining and also incredibly impactful election season coming up. What are we thinking about doing both leading up to and then the aftermath? Right. It doesn't matter who wins. Like, how do we just kind of navigate that for us and our teams and already have a bunch of great ideas and we're going to talk about it more, which came through the list of emails and then we're going to talk about it today. So being able to push and think about that yeah. and push each other to think about that yeah. has been great. Things like that. The other thing that I think this moment has really introduced and accelerated is also collapse might be too strong of a word, but a shaking of hierarchy. Because some of the strongest voices of this moment are young people, and particularly in the arts community, which has really had a very public discussion about issues of art and equity that I haven't seen in the other sectors. Yes, I haven't seen in the other sectors of the nonprofit world. Like I, education is happening a little bit because of what's going on in our school system right now, but really starting in... May, in particular, after the death of uh, George Floyd, and all the statements started coming out about solidarity and equity and young people and those staff, people of color working for large museums and art entities kind of really called their leadership to the carpet. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. And I've had to like listen to my team in a different way, both about what they needed what they thought could change and be different, how they needed to be supported, and just being able to open up that space. One of the first things we did was ask a coach who we work with. She works with individual team members, but has also over the years done some group work with us. So two or three weeks after COVID began, late March, we asked her to meet with us and just hold space. Think about it as a community care circle. And one of the things she insisted on having at the end was to have the team, everyone on the team, but particularly making space for junior staff Mm -hmm. to tell us what they needed. Because the leadership, myself and our deputy director and director of programs had been making decisions and trying to implement different things, all towards trying to be helpful. But maybe what we think is helpful isn't. And it turns out there are a few things that we thought were helpful that they were like, no, don't do that. Just ask. (laughs) And Mia provided that space. She was like, Kemi, this might be hard to hear, but we need to do that. 
And because it was at the end of the community care circle, and we already have a culture where I hope people feel like they can say things, but sometimes you still need that invitation. Yeah. People jumped in right away. No shyness. They were like ready to go. Yeah. And we're having another community care circle next week. And we're going to, again, incorporate that as, as an element in it. And she asked, she was kind of like, I suggest we do that again. I was like, yes, I do think we should do that again because it's been six months and we've done many different things in between, but time is shifting and changing. And maybe we need, again, some space to kind of make sure we're on track. Well, in these sort of pockets of spaciousness, right? I- yes having been a a nonprofit leader when we met, I know how hard it can feel to find time to think about it. Yes. (laughs) Right. And and to be spacious and to plan and to listen and to engage. And just this idea of, you know, we're going to take an hour. It doesn't be a five day retreat. It doesn't have to be a full day. It can be an hour, but it's an intentional hour of spaciousness to show up. What you're doing with your other art bosses. Yeah. Similar. And it feels like if we're going to reshape our sector and our organizations in a way that is healthier and more equitable, we have to have time for spaciousness. We have to have time to dream and to listen and to think. Do you think that this is picking up on another thing you said about the sort of shakeups in the art world? There have been ripples in other parts of the sector also around who gets to lead what. Yes. Around whose voices get to be heard and in what way. Who's at the proverbial table. And you and I have been doing this for decades. We always talk about who's at the table, but there's like a, I don't know, there's a shift in how people are actually putting themselves at tables and perhaps not necessarily being invited. But I'm wondering if you think... I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. If you think that we are seeing actual genuine shifts towards greater equity and actual willingness to have the tough conversations and to invite different people to the table, or do you feel like this is sort of a moment, right? There are a lot of statements and there are some leadership shakeups and by next fall, we'll sort of be back to the old status quo. Where on that spectrum do you think we are? I'm going to cheat a bit and say it's a little bit of both. And I do think it's really dependent on organizations and the genuineness of their leadership and their sense of accountability to their non-leadership. Yeah. So I feel like there's some organizations that will snap right back to what they used to be. And what they, I feel, risk is relevance. You can snap back to what you used to be, but at some point, there will not be older, rich, white people to support you, and everybody else won't think you matter. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking a little while ago about what thought leadership actually means, right? And it's not just sort of blog posts and podcasts. It's actually being the people whose expertise are relevant. Right. And yeah, we're sort of yeah. looking to and that's shifting. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Just who is considered to be relevant, who we look to to shape our understanding of our sector and society are just going to change. Yes. I love that. I don't think that's cheating at all. I think that's exactly that's a great answer. <laughs> I hope that's true. I hope that there's some consequence to the people in the organizations that are not being earnest right now. 
right? I yeah. hope they don't just sort of get to perform and be part of the conversation and then not actually grapple with and shift their power structures. Absolutely. And I do think there are organizations that are willing to really look at themselves and think about it. And I'm on two boards of organizations that I do think care genuinely. And in both cases did not start the conversation this year. And I think that's key. There's some people for whom, again, the acceleration factor is real. Things that might've taken two years or taken six months, Yes, but it wasn't new conversations for us. And the board is part of the conversation. The staff is part of the conversation. People have sought outside consultants and help and all the things so that this moment hasn't caught them unawares. Yeah. Even if they haven't done everything right, because none of us knew what to do. Let's do everything right. Right. And in this moment, none of us, including the LP, have done everything right. Yeah. (laughs) And for us, it's been our leadership and our board has also been part of our conversations, right? And again, about pushing ourselves. We're already an organization that feels very versed in conversations around equity and care mm-hmm. and what it means to be a Black-led and POC-centered organization. So that is a new information for us. So we actually have pushed ourselves to think more deeply about what can we be doing because other people look to us And I get the emails every other day that remind me of that. (laughs) Even when we don't think we're doing any, like we're just doing what we do. And other people are like, oh yeah, your social media. Oh yeah, I saw you did that. Oh yeah, I heard you talk about this on, you know, such and such panel. Can you give me more information? So I'm very aware that we have some responsibilities. And even when we don't know we're being watched, we are, and we have to show up in a certain way. And I want other people in our community to feel like there are things they can hold up about what we're doing in the world, including when we don't get it right and need to make shifts. I love that we're not going to necessarily get it right. To wrap up, I guess I just want to ask, what is one piece of advice you have for other leaders right now in this space who are navigating the sort of chaos that is COVID. Yeah. What's one piece of advice to help continue on towards the next normal? I would say, and it's been a theme for our conversation, but don't go it alone. I cannot imagine trying to get through this without other executive directors, without my leadership team, without weekly calls with my board chair without webinars and podcasts and my mother gives me pep talks every morning I mean calling all the saints right and I mean it goes back to what you started off with which is the power of the collective right yeah. as leaders we can't do it as alone as people we can't do it as alone as organizations Yeah, if we're going to reshape this next normal, it's going to be together. It's going to be together. I love that. Well, thank you for this great conversation. As always, I've loved talking to you for close to a decade now. Yes. Um, And keep doing the amazing work that you guys are doing. You know, I'm a huge fan of the LP. (laughs) Always have been. And it's really awesome to hear about the conversations you're convening and, and taking part of. So thank you. Thank you so much for this, Brooke. And I always love being in conversation and in community with you and feel really blessed about that. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and definitely share with your friends. 
You can learn more about Kemi at kemielesanmi.net, about the Laundromat Project at laundromatproject.org, and about the video series that goes along with this series of conversations, The Next Normal, at richiebabbage.com backslash next normal. One last exciting announcement. If you are the executive director of a small nonprofit under a million dollars, and you're looking to pass that next milestone of a million dollars, I am really excited to announce my upcoming live private training on January 25th at 1230. You can head over to richiebabbage.com backslash nonprofit accelerator to apply for an invite to the training. That's all for now. Have a great week and I will see you back here next week for more Mastermind.